In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. And today, unfortunately, we recorded a full episode yesterday. Um, and somehow, via some horrendous technological difficulties, we the audio got totally corrupted and unusable. And so we are just recording a um, bit of a Super Tuesday recap because apparently Super Tuesday was tough for the broadcast and it was tough for... Um, progressive Democrats. So we're yeah. going to talk about all that. Yeah. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the more uh, emotional sides of why we do what we do, why we do the Perspectrum, and why we support who we support. So, Michael, let's start by talking a little bit about uh, everything leading up to Super Tuesday. Yeah, sure. Um, so, like, if you took the clock and rewound it to, you know, last week or the week before most people would not have predicted that we ended up where we did. Um, so, so a couple of weeks ago, Bernie was ahead in the polls. He had just, um, won Nevada at that point. He had also won, um, New Hampshire and he won the popular vote in Iowa and things were like looking great. This, there was smooth sailing for him. It looked like now we were with this at this point, it was before the, North, the South Carolina debate. It was before South Carolina primary and Joe Biden was still kind of in what seemed like a bit of a funk. Like he didn't perform in early States very well. Um, he was not really performing super well in the debates. And then we head into what happened in South Carolina and things, the ground starts to shift a bit. Yeah. So South Carolina, um, had a major turnout among older voters and an abysmal turnout among younger voters. Um, the uh, age demographics of 17 and 29, which overwhelmingly went for Bernie, only accounted for about 11% of the overall electorate. And I think that one thing that is important to mention about all this is uh, as much as I want to be pissed off and rave at all the people that didn't show up. It is important to mention that there are some structural reasons that often prevents people from being able to turn out. The fact that uh, election days are not considered national holidays, and thus people are often unable to get out of work. I actually, uh, 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 one of the students that I used to coach uh, back in Iowa, I was telling her uh, on election day, like, you got to get out there, you got to caucus for uh, Bernie. And she was like, yeah, I support Bernie, but I just can't. I just can't get off work in order to do it. And that's a major structural problem. And as much as I would love to rave against people um, that didn't show up, you can't ignore the systemic barriers to showing up for voting. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but, but you know, that tends to enable people to vote more regularly who are either of a higher economic status or have more flexible work schedules or maybe retired. 
So you may skew older, you may skew wealthier, you may skew more educated. Um, but regardless of all that, um, that is not how South Carolina turned out in the demographics, really. Um, you know, the overall electorate tended to be older. And, you know, Biden won South Carolina the same way that Bernie won Nevada. He, he took like 48% of the vote compared to Biden or compared to Bernie's like 18% um, in South Carolina. And it was a bigger delegate target. So just like overall more delegates went to Biden from that than, than Bernie in Nevada, which, um, you know, was a real challenge. But on top of, you know, the actual delegate count and, you know, performance of Joe Biden, South Carolina is a really important state for momentum. And also in the case of Joe Biden, when people were unsure of how he would perform, unsure of his electability, you know, that momentum can't be overstated. Like being able to win a state like that so handily basically could have, it seems like it proved the case to a lot of people that they weren't risking a Trump presidency in voting for Biden. Yeah. And another important point to make is that he does absolutely have a lot of goodwill uh, amongst uh, the black community. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it is important to note that Bernie Sanders did receive more votes among younger voters of color. But when it comes to the overall electorate, uh, Biden won pretty solidly with the black community, almost as well, uh, about as well as Bernie did with the Latinx community in Nevada. And also, in the days leading up to South Carolina, he got a pretty significant endorsement from Congressman Clyburn from uh, from South Carolina, who is considered by many in South Carolina to be a civil rights hero. And mm. I, I watched the speech that he gave in endorsing Biden. And look, I I don't support Biden in the primary. I don't I don't like his policies, but I got to admit that was a damn good endorsement. It was a very emotional and heartfelt speech. And after seeing that speech, I, I can understand why Biden did so well in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, you're right. He has a long history. He has a lot of goodwill. I mean, I think being Obama's vice president, having a great relationship with him, like, I think that may have registered more with people of color than maybe it did for you and me. Um, and also like there, you know, there may be reasons to try to like bet on the safe bet, especially if you're in communities that are at, are at risk. You know, if, if you're in a community that's been really harmed by the Trump presidency and you perceive Bernie as even being slightly more risky of a bet than Biden, you know, there's like, you might have a pretty good reason to vote for Biden. Yeah, absolutely. And Let's also be clear, a lot of that does come from the fact that that's the narrative that's been shoved down everybody's throat. It does not yes. necessarily, it's not necessarily represented in the actual data. The actual data shows them about the same in terms of uh, head-to-head matchups against mm. Trump. Um, so, but that's that, like, narrative, that narrative is still powerful. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why South Carolina and the early states in general, but specifically South Carolina for Joe Biden was so, so important. It becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's, that's kind of what electability is, right? Like if you, if you, a lot of people that were supporting Warren 
you know, the tagline was she's electable if you vote for her. And it's a yeah. little bit pithy, but for the most part, like that's kind of true. So if you, if you believe that Biden is electable because he gained a lot of momentum out of South Carolina, he's going to gain more momentum with people that really want an electable candidate. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be like what was on a lot of people's minds. So in Virginia, which was one of the first states called for Biden, um, a significant portion of people in the exit polls were saying, I think, I think it was over like 50 or 60 percent, were saying that electability was like their number one priority and that they put the odds of a Biden victory way higher than the odds of a Bernie, Bernie victory over Trump. And, you know, whether and, and to Nathan's point, you know, that isn't borne out in the head to head matchup polls. It isn't borne out really in the data that we've seen. Um, but the fact that that's the narrative is really, really, really powerful. Yeah. I think it's fair to call out the fact that there is absolutely a bias against Bernie Sanders within mainstream media and amongst the um, the Democratic establishment. Uh, and, and just to be clear, when I say the Democratic establishment, I'm not talking necessarily about voters. I'm talking about elected Democrats. There's absolutely a bias against Bernie Sanders. But it is also important to recognize that he didn't really do much to try to win South Carolina. It seemed like he had kind of given up on it. And mm. he was not able to mobilize a coalition, a the, the coalition that he needed in order to do well in South Carolina. And ultimately, the momentum that Biden got from South Carolina did really help him through Super Tuesday. So we can simultaneously critique Bernie's flaws and express the need for him to expand his coalition while also acknowledging that there are forces that are kind of shady that are working against him. Yeah. And on top of all of this momentum um, going into South Carolina, um, before the South Carolina race, Buttigieg and Klobuchar also dropped out. And they weren't they and weren't endorsed polling, Biden. And endorsed Biden, exactly. And they weren't polling crazy high in South Carolina, but they were polling high, or they were polling, you know, about as usual in other Super Tuesday states. So you saw a confluence of a lot of things. Joe Biden got stronger in the debate. He showed up and was at a strong performance in South Carolina. At the same time, the moderate field consolidated and other candidates, you know, that dropped out, um, you know, endorsed him. And I think it all kind of came together to really make a difference. Yeah. One thing I will also say, and I just want to call out something that I've been seeing a lot from some of my fellow Bernie supporters. I don't think it's healthy or accurate to blame Warren for this. Um, I've been seeing a lot of Bernie supporters saying that the reason why Bernie didn't do well on uh, Super Tuesday is because Warren stayed in and didn't endorse him. And look, I think that it would have probably helped him a little bit if Warren had dropped out and endorsed him. But at the end of the day, uh, Warren inspired candidates to vote for her. Like mm -hmm. I've been seeing, you know, Michael mentioned earlier, a lot of the tagline that a lot of Warren supporters have been saying is she's electable if you vote for her. And that's an important point because there are a lot of people that truly do believe in Elizabeth Warren's candidacy and her, uh, and her policies. And, and in a lot of ways, she is a great candidate. And, 
I understand being annoyed by all of the erasure that happened with Elizabeth Warren, considering all those uh, news articles that we saw uh, after the early states that would straight up just be like, oh, um, you know, first place is Bernie, second place is Buttigieg, and then fourth place is Biden. And it's like third place doesn't exist. Well, who was that? Well, it was Elizabeth Warren. So I think that Warren supporters are absolutely justified to feel a sense of erasure in this whole thing. Now, at this point, Elizabeth Warren really does not have much of a path to the nomination. But I still respect the fact that um, I still respect the fact that she stayed in for Super Tuesday. And as it stands, we've heard reports that she is starting to reassess her campaign. It's still uh, I'm still curious to see what she ends up doing. Uh, if she does drop out, if she ends up endorsing anybody. And I think that that endorsement will certainly come a long way. I think that if she endorses Bernie, then that might put him back in the game. Yeah, that, that could that could certainly help. But like to people, your to your point, like to people saying that a Warren really cost Bernie a bunch of votes. Like even if all of her support went to Bernie, which there's no actual evidence that it would have. I mean, exactly, I've, I've been yeah. looking at a lot of polls that basically show that the second choice among Warren supporters were kind of spread out fairly evenly. Yeah, I I I don't think it's at all locked in that. Warren supporters would definitely go to Sanders. But even if they did, if you look at like the percentage of the vote that she got compared to Biden, like it, it really wouldn't have put Sanders over the top in a lot of cases. Like um, it would have put him over the top in Maine. And like I'm, and when I say over the top, I mean above Biden. Um, it would have done it in Massachusetts. Um, it would have made the difference in Oklahoma and, but like not North Carolina, which has 110 delegates. Definitely um, not Virginia. Not Virginia. Yeah. It would have, it would have put him over in Minnesota. So like there are some States where it would have helped, but also because of proportional representation, it would, it would have brought them closer together. Um, but ultimately like the delegate count, she didn't get that many delegates, you know? So like the delegate count, wouldn't have shifted that much. So I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything bad about Elizabeth Warren today. Um I think that uh her place in this race I still think has been a positive thing mm -hmm. and uh we'll see what happens. But overall Super Tuesday if you're uh a progressive supporter of Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren Super Tuesday it was rough. It really did not go well. It was looking like Super Tuesday was going to be in the bag for Bernie, that it might give Biden a chance to catch up to him, but that Bernie would still be pretty far ahead. And I was looking mm -hmm. at the um, New York Times predictions for uh, the delegate results. And at the end of the at the beginning of the night, it started out with uh, predicting that Bernie would still be ahead of Biden by like mm -hmm. 30 delegates. And by the end of the night, it had shifted a hell of a lot and it was just so sad for me to see yeah, I, don't, don't you miss the days when we were expecting you know the more moderate candidates to try to come together for a contested uh <laughs> a yeah contested well that dimension. would have been that would be a huge disaster at, at this point i i really do i want the candidate that we nominate to be bernie but 
it is also extremely important that what whoever the candidate that we nominate is, that um, it be the one with the most delegates, preferably with a majority. Because if it is awarded through a contested convention, that is going to pretty much hand the uh, candidacy over to Donald Trump, whether it's Biden or Bernie. Now, I highly doubt that if Biden has uh, the most votes, has a plurality, that they're going to shift uh, delegates and give it to Bernie instead. I highly doubt that that would happen. But it is still important that whoever does get the nomination be the person with the most legitimacy and therefore with the most delegates. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. I mean, yes, you can make the case that you know, consolidating the Democratic, moderate Democrats um, helped Biden and, you know, may have hurt Bernie. Um, but like, I think you're totally right. Having a clear winner coming out of the convention, I think is critical for consolidating the, you know, Democratic electorate behind a single candidate who can get out there and not just because like a lot of people talk about like, oh, well, you know, Democrats are not going to vote for Trump. So they're in the bag. Well, you don't just need them to vote like just voting is not everything you need to do. And so like having everybody behind, like truly behind and supporting the Democratic candidate is not just about getting them to the polls, although, you know, there's always a question about actually getting them there, but it's also about getting them out and active um, to help support the Democratic candidate, whoever that ends up being. So, like, I fully expect that if Bernie gets the nomination, like, the moderate Democrats should be out there helping to support his candidacy against Donald Trump, if for nothing else, and vice versa for Bernie supporters. Yeah, I mean, look, if Biden does get the nomination, and it is clearly legitimate, um, I'm very likely going to be volunteering for his campaign over this summer. Uh I'm not happy with the fact I will I won't be happy with the fact that he's our nominee. I'll be really disappointed that that pretty much guarantees the fact that uh, we can kiss any chances of single payer goodbye for the foreseeable future. But we got to be Donald Trump at the end of the day. And even if we look at the. Uh, centrist corporatist democratic agenda there are still many bills that have been passed in the united states house of representatives by a democratic establishment that are absolutely positive i mm. mean considering uh the the 15 an hour minimum wage making uh uh making election day a national holiday uh adding protections of the civil rights act to the lgbtq community there are absolutely a lot there are a lot of things that even the most centrist of democrats still agree with and can get done now i'm not trying to i'm not trying to say that uh biden is going to be this big savior and big hero for us but it doesn't mean that we won't get anything done under a Biden presidency if we are able to also take control of the House and the Senate. And hell, even even if we're not, don't forget about the Supreme Court. All mm. right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she wants to retire. Yeah. And and good Lord, she she should. She deserves it. And good it. Lord, she deserves it. Um, and if like if you are someone who is a strong Bernie supporter, um. If Biden wins, it is still in your best interest to vote for him 
because, uh, I mean, let's consider one of the most important parts of Bernie's policy platform, which is ending corruption and getting money out of politics. Well, that's not going to happen unless there is a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United, which is not going to happen, or a Supreme Court that overturns Citizens United, which is only going to happen if we get more Democratic appointed justices on the Supreme Court. Yeah, that is... That is exactly right. And so, and it is not flip-flopping. <laughs> Let's just be clear about this. No. It's not flip-flopping to say that while we have been critical of all the candidates in the field, but, you know, more supportive of um, Bernie on this show, to say that once the primary is decided, we're going to put all our weight and effort behind the nominee. Because ultimately in, in politics, you know, it's not... You're not looking for a soulmate, right? You're looking for the best alternative at the time. And being a passionate supporter of your very best option is all you can do. And one thing I would also like to say is I don't want other I don't want people to think that I'm uh, striking a defeatist attitude because the primary is not over. Yes, we should we should we're going to emphasize exactly this point. We are not out of um, striking distance yet. There is still a possibility. There are paths in which Bernie Sanders could potentially pull ahead and clench the nomination. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be an uphill battle. And there are lots of things that need to fall into place for it to happen. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, they definitely expanded a lot of tactics in order for Super Tuesday to happen the way that it did. They had candidates dropping out. They had um, they had the big bump from South Carolina. Um, yeah, and we emphasize narrative a ton on this show because it's super important in politics. And there there is no more harmful narrative to the Bernie campaign at this very moment than to pretend that he has already lost. Yeah, he so, has not already lost. Yeah, just because we, he didn't perform, perform the way we expected, um, the way we hoped, does not mean that he has already lost. He is still very much in this race. And if you haven't voted yet, or if you have and have resources, like get out there and support him. It is not a waste of your time, effort, or your vote. And the last thing I want to say, I want to sort of make a uh, get a little bit emotional here or at least get a little bit personal here Michael and I don't usually get too personal on this podcast mostly because we try to be policy oriented on this podcast and we do think that when it comes to politics you should be focused more on the policy more on the numbers more on the facts but at the end of the day we're all humans and humans have lived experiences and the lived experiences of humans influence the way they think, the way they feel, and the way they vote. So I just wanted to explain why it is that I've been such a passionate supporter of Bernie Sanders from the very beginning. I've always really cared about politics from a young age. And I remember the first time I learned about single-payer health care about the idea of a country having uh, healthcare free at the point of service and not having to worry about uh, whether they might be denied by some private insurance company. And I remember thinking, that's amazing. Why don't we have that here? 
And the more research I did, the more I realized, oh my God, almost every single, uh, every single other developed country has one form of, or another of universal healthcare. And many of those are single payer systems and they pay less per capita than we do and they get better results. And I remember all through high school arguing that with my friends and the people around me and them just telling me um, that I'm crazy for thinking that, that it's just too extreme, it's insane, it's radical that I'm... I was one of them. Yeah, Michael was one of them. Taylor, Michael's brother, uh, he was one of them. I would frequently argue um, with Taylor and Michael... Uh, two two of my best friends growing up about this. I would argue with people at school. I would argue with teachers about it. And after I had all of these people just descending on me every time I would bring up the idea of single-payer healthcare, I started really feeling like maybe I am crazy. Maybe it is insane. Maybe I'm not seeing what I'm actually seeing. Maybe the facts aren't the facts. And then... In 2014, I did an internship with the Human Rights Campaign, and that was when I started learning more and more about specific elected officials, because one of the jobs that I had was researching the LGBT rights records of many, uh, of many different elected officials. And that's when I started learning about Bernie, this democratic socialist independent from Vermont. You know, one of the first things I learned about him was the fact that he was making pro-LGBT arguments in Congress in the 90s when nobody was doing that. And I learned that he was someone who was saying a lot of the things that I had been saying since forever, that it is ridiculous that we are the only major country on earth that does not have universal health care, that we can have better things like free college tuition, a, a living wage, that we can have automatic voter registration, public funding of elections, that it's terrible that our campaign finance system allows people to, in essence, buy elections. And when I first started telling my friends about Bernie Sanders, talking to people about Bernie Sanders uh, after 2014, I heard the same gaslighting, which is, oh, well, he's crazy. Like, he's just, he's just a crazy, far-left, radical socialist, and he's never going to get anywhere. And I was like, no, I think this guy might run for president. They were like, oh, no, no, it's definitely, it's just going to be uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016, and there's going to be no contesting. And I actually remember at one point, a very good friend of mine, um, when I was arguing about universal health care, he said, I'll never forget this, he said, Nathan, you're too liberal for your own good. <laughs> and... Um, and then Bernie Sanders started running for president and I told people, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to vote for this guy. I don't think he's going to win. Cause you know, I still at the time thought, um, like I was crazy for thinking him that I was a fringe person for liking Bernie Sanders. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to vote for him because I'm going to vote for the person that I agree with the most. Mm -hmm. And then he gained momentum and a lot of the very same people that had been calling me crazy suddenly started being Bernie supporters. <laughs> and for once I was not being gaslit. I was like, Oh my God, it's not crazy to think that people shouldn't die because they can't afford healthcare. That feeling just made me feel so much less isolated and it made me feel so much more empowered to fight for policies that this country desperately needs. A study recently came out from Yale saying that Medicare for all could potentially save 
approximately 70,000 lives every year. That is not insignificant. About half of Americans have cited not uh, lack of affordability as being a reason why they have gone without health care. That should not be a thing. That should not happen. But as it stands, it still does. And when I hear establishment Democrats arguing against that policy, which has already worked very well in 17 other countries, it really does make me feel militant because I'm reminded of how long I was gaslit. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you listen to this podcast and think, wow, Nathan gets really angry or Nathan gets really um, passionate or upset when he talks about Bernie or he's just a crazy Bernie supporter. The reason why I'm a little bit more militant with this is because I've been gaslit about this type of thing my entire life. And I'm done. I'm done with that. And Nathan, I think that you are right to feel the way you do. I think that. Standing up for what you believe in, standing up for the least well-off in our society is a very noble, noble thing to do. And for someone and, you know, for someone to fight that fight for many years is very admirable. And I hope that you, you, that you know that, you know, you've been a tremendous influence on me. And in part because of our conversations, part of the reason we started this, sh- this show is because due to our conversations, due to our like mutual political growth and understanding, you know, we've, I think we've both developed, but I've, I know I've developed a great deal. I, I, one of the, one of the most significant moments for me is when we were talking about single payer healthcare, not, not a few months ago. And we were talking about it and, and came to the conclusion that really the choice is this. If Medicare for All can save literally tens of thousands of lives, if not more, then saying that it's too expensive, which it's not, or saying that it's not feasible, which it is, or saying that we don't have the votes, which we could, is saying that we're okay with those people dying or going hungry in the case of you know, SNAP benefits or, you know, being unable to support themselves in the case of poor education or, or a wage that they can or a non-living wage. We're saying that we're okay with those outcomes for people in our society when we have the tools to fix it. So that's why we do the Perspectrum. And as we said, the fight's not over. The primary's not over. And even when it is over, fight's still not over because there is a general election that also needs to be fought. And when the general election is over, fight's still not over because there's lots of policies that need to get implemented that um, that we still can fight for. Yeah, the ultimate gaslighting is for someone to tell you and then ultimately for you to believe that getting to the right place is impossible. All right, so we're just going to end the podcast real quick with some highlights. Uh, like we said, this is a shorter version um, because of our technical difficulties uh, yesterday. Um, but we really do appreciate you tuning in. And uh, we will have uh, a full episode coming to you uh, next week. So, Michael, what are your highlights? So my highlight this week um, was actually just from, from this evening. I was able to 
visit with uh, my lifelong friend, um, uh, Theodore Biddlesneed. Um, and we got to have dinner and hang out and just kind of chill together. And it was really great to be able to hang out with him again. Um, and he mentioned that he, he listens to the show regularly, which I really appreciate. And he said that it was really helpful in the lead up to voting kind of to get context about stuff. And it just, <laughs> it, it made me feel really validated in like the work we're doing. And I really appreciated him listening. So hi, Theo. Um, <laughs> Thanks yeah. for listening, brother. Yeah, so that's my that's my big highlight. So what about you, Nathan? My highlight this week is I got to go to a Bernie Sanders rally on Saturday with my wife and my parents. And it was really nice to just sort of be a family of progressives um, cheering on uh, policies that we all agreed with. I know that a lot of people don't have um, parents that they agree with as much politically. And I certainly do have political disagreements with my parents. I frequently do argue with them um, uh, about certain political issues, but uh, we are definitely a family of Democrats. And, um, and, and it felt, it felt good to be there and cheer on uh, policies. Yeah, that, that I'm sure that feels awesome. So thank you so much, everyone for tuning into this short episode and yeah, patience for, our technical problems. Uh, we really appreciate your return listening and let's go out there and beat Donald Trump.